Good morning, Redemption City. Good to be with you all again. I think that uh, two times uh, being with you in two months, that's, that's not a bad track record. So hopefully uh, feeling is mutual. Uh, but yeah, uh, this morning uh, has been fun for me because my wife Jacqueline is not in town this weekend. She's away in Mount Pleasant uh, doing weekend classes for a program she's in. And so um, I just have been fried extra crispy on the stay-at-home dad front. And um, so it's made uh, Sunday morning uh, really exciting, but um, some of you have already stepped in, saw me in my need, and said, I got you, bro. So, um, but hey, as we open our time together in scriptures, um, I'd like to begin with a question. When you think about radically generous people, when you think about radically generous people, I just wonder who's someone that comes to mind. Um, maybe one of the people on your mind is this uh, family right here. This is the DeVos family. Obviously, this has taken a few years back because it still has Rich and Helen in the picture in the middle there before they departed from us. But then uh, maybe another person that comes to mind is this dude right here, David Van Andel, and it just is in the name right there. Part of the Van Andel family, the Ice Arena, the Institute, uh, list goes on and on. The car dealership, I think, even is in there. Uh, but um, some of you then are also like, you know what, dude, that, these were the last people that come to my mind. First people that came to my mind was my grandma and grandpa, uh, just thinking about their generosity, not so much with money, but these babies right here, Werther's Originals, I feel like it is legally required that when I turn 65, I've got to have a bowl of these things out and available for anybody. But if you grew up in West Michigan, these might have been found at your grandparents' house. Uh, anybody show of hands uh, seeing these? Okay, I see a few. All right, okay. Dutch represent. I'm Polish. I'm from the east side of the state, so I didn't even see these until, like, last night when I found them on Google. But um, uh, these, when we look at these pictures here, and we think about the people associated with them, generosity comes to mind. But when we open our Bibles and we turn to Mark chapter 12, I think we encounter someone who's at the top of Jesus' most generous people list. But it's not because of the dollar amounts. It's not because they opened a research institute. It's not because they started a family business and provided people with a bunch of jobs, I think this person is at the top of their list because though she had little, this woman gave everything she has. We're talking about the story traditionally referred to the widow's might. Um, but before we dive into that story, I just want to see if I'm alone here or not, but I think there's an elephant in the room with this text. Maybe you feel the same way if you read it within the greater context of everything leading up to it. I read this little story here and I'm like, what's it doing here? When you think about the moments leading up to that text and then you see what's on the other side of it, it just feels like it would have made perfect sense to take that out and just let it flow without it. Um, I just think it looks out of place, but 
at first glance and then taking a second glance and then taking another glance, you start to see something that looks a little bit like what we see up here. Um, This is just kind of an image of some of the marks in all the Gospels that tie together, but I labeled one, two, three, four, four stops in the text that lead up to the fifth stop of the widow. And the people asking Jesus the questions in this text, uh, there's first you see Jesus is questioned about paying taxes. Two groups of people are asking him this question. First, there's the Pharisees, and then second, there's these guys called the Herodians. And the two of them, church, they could not have been more opposed to each other. We're talking red and blue states united on their shared hatred for Jesus. And the question beneath their question, it's not about taxes. It's about tribes. They want Jesus to go public with what tribe he's a part of. The pro-taxes Herodian group or the anti-taxes Pharisee group. And the reality, though, is that Jesus, it's like they're trying to set this trap and Jesus isn't taking the bait. Check it out in Mark chapter 12, verse 17. It just reads here, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Kind of drawing from language in Genesis 1. God creating us in the image of God. And then this first question leads to a second question by a second group of people. You'll see it there. The Sadducees question Jesus about the resurrection. And this one's kind of interesting, honestly, because I think these guys, man, they don't even believe in a resurrection. And you might think to yourself, wait, they don't believe in the resurrection? What's that all about? Well, these guys might be what we call purists. Uh, they, they, for them, their scriptures consisted of the first five books of the Bible, Torah, the Pentateuch. And so they just believed that because it wasn't explicitly taught in Torah, in the Pentateuch, the resurrection, and even things like angels must not exist. They believe that anything else, the wisdom literature, the historical books, even the prophets, they believe that those were extra-biblical pieces of literature and didn't carry the authority that Torah did. So uh, they asked Jesus, basically, it's like they put this riddle out to him about a woman who has seven different husbands, all at different times, Each one of them dies, and they're just like, all right, Jesus, let's see what you got to say about your precious little resurrection, you believe. In your resurrection, whose wife will she be? And Jesus just, he's better at playing their own game than even they are. Uh, Listen to these flattering words here. He tells them, verse 24, uh, Jesus said to them, is it not the reason you are wrong? Because you neither know the scriptures nor the power of God. 
Fun little fact about the Sadducees, most scholars believe they are the priestly party running the show at the temple. And here's Jesus telling them, you neither know the scriptures nor the power of God. You hear Jesus say this, and it's no wonder they want Jesus dead too. If you think Jesus is done here, it's like he's just getting started. As verse 25 shows us, it continues like this. Uh, For they, when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. It's like Jesus is just clapping back at them. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, your own Bible, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to Moses saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And then listen to this mic drop here in verse 27. He is not the God of the dead, but the living. You are quite wrong. It's just like, whoo, fire. And this leads to the third stop in the journey to the widow because um, the way Jesus answers the Sadducees intrigues another character in the crowd. Talking about a scribe. In the third question that's asked, it's about the greatest commandment. And this scribe, what you need to know about them is this. These guys were the experts of the experts in Jewish law. They made a living off of being human printing presses. They were the ones who made the copies of the scrolls, of the scripts, of the tablets that everybody read if they wanted to know the scriptures and the power of God. So it just, it shouldn't be surprising for us to hear this scribe want to get Jesus' take on the greatest commandment. And here, Jesus' answer, church, we just got to know that this should be the defining mark of our lives if we are his followers. What's also interesting, though, is his answer, it lined up with what Jews back then and even today still pray each morning and evening. It's a prayer known as the Shema which is just the Hebrew word, hear. It's the instruction Moses gives Israel as they're about to enter the promised land. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5, but Jesus quotes that text and adds an extra layer. You can see it here on the screen. The most important commandment is, hear, Shema, hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Then he continues this. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other, not commandments, but commandment. There is no other commandment greater than these. I don't know if y'all just saw what Jesus did there takes two commandments and marries them so that they become one. There's no greater, not commandments, there's no greater commandment than these. First, love God supremely. Second, love your neighbor sacrificially. 
redemption if this does not, if this commandment, married to one, if this is not the consistent, growing, maturing mark of our lives, that when people taste and see our lives, that they taste and see someone who loves God supremely and loves our neighbors sacrificially, if that's not what they're tasting and seeing in our lives, then family, we got to do some inventory. We need to ask ourselves some questions of our own, namely, am I even really following Jesus? When all the questions are said and done, Jesus pivots. And this brings us to the fourth stop in the text that leads up to the widow story. It's the fourth stop, but it's the last stop. And here, Jesus condemns the religious leaders. And as Jesus describes these guys, we already heard it in the reading this morning, one of the hallmarks of their lives is their religious hypocrisy and their predator-like corruption. I mean, just listen to how Jesus describes these guys in verse 40. Tells them that they devour widows. Widows' houses. And for a pretense, make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. These guys are predators. They're snakes who prey on image-bearing people with limited assets and vulnerable resources. Jesus describes their favorite prey as widows and as if they're just these people who take much from those who don't have much. This is how we arrive at the widow story. In Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44, Jesus moves from condemning the religious leaders, guys, to commending the very people they prey on. And so that said, I just want us to think back to the question we started off with. When you think about radically generous people, who comes to mind? Who comes to mind when you think of the person that tops your generous people list? Who is it? Because for Jesus, it's this woman we're about to meet right here. Just listen again. I'm going to read it for you. Just listen again how the story unfolds. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins. Make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. Listen to this ground clause right here in verse 44. For they all contribute out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, I love this line right here, has put in Everything she had, all she had to live on. 
everything she had. All she had to live on. When it comes to how this widow was at the top of Jesus' most generous people list, guys, it had nothing to do with dollar amounts. What we're talking about here is percentages. This widow was all in. 100%. It's the kind of all-in, 100% commitment that reminds me of the commitment couples make on their wedding day. Just those simple vows, with all I am, with all I have, I give unto thee. Church, what Jesus saw in this woman was everything he did not see in the religious leaders. When he saw this widow, he did not see in the, what he saw in the widow, he didn't see it in the Pharisees or Herodians. What he saw in this widow, he didn't see in the scribes or the Sadducees. Those guys were all out for their own comfort. They were out for their own control. They were out for their own convenience, out to be right. Not this widow. Jesus saw her. He knew all all she had. And it was his. 100%. Question for you, family, is this. Does Jesus have you too? Does he have me? Does he have us? Are we the kind of people who, like the religious leaders, need control, need comfort, need convenience, need to be right, and don't need Jesus? I find this text to be very challenging to me because I love me some theology, y'all. This text challenges me, and it reminds me that if my theology is on the money, Jesus doesn't have my heart. I'm bankrupt. Bankrupt. And like the religious leaders, I'm condemned. Our theology can be on the money, but if we don't have Jesus and if he doesn't have our hearts, then we're bankrupt and condemned. Jesus have us. And just know here... To answer that question, Jesus isn't looking for your money. I mean, let's be real. Jesus is the God who has cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need our money. He's looking for our heart. And like this widow, I find this really beautiful to know. He wants our hearts, and he also knows our stories. He knows what we're going through. He knows your parents' health might be failing right now. He knows you're an adoptive family struggling to connect with your kids. He knows 
Man, he knows you're working the job to get to the job you really want. He knows, mama, that you're at home and you're day in, day out caring for your kids. Jesus sees the moment-by-moment stress that I got a taste of this weekend while my wife has been away. Holy smokes, Jesus sees us. Jesus knows us. But does he have us? The beautiful thing here is that if we give Jesus 100% church, he won't give it back in return. He won't give it back because he's already given it. We don't give 100% to Jesus so that he gives 100% back to us. We give 100% to Jesus because On the cross, Jesus gave himself for us. All he had, everything within him. On the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And the gospel is is good news because it doesn't just stay at the cross. It doesn't just stay in the ground. The gospel is good news because... The very person in Christ who gave everything he had for us in his resurrection takes it back and makes it available for you and me both now and forever. We're talking eternal life, fully alive to God, fully alive to people around us, here, now, and forevermore, man. And by the way, we get the hope, too, that we will be raised from the dead just like Jesus And somebody give me an amen right there. Like, this is the gospel here. This is the good news. This is news that is different from any other religion, different than anything the religious leaders in this text believed. What I'm trying to say here, guys, is that Jesus is the true widow. Jesus is the true widow. In him we see that he he gave everything he had. All he had to live on, on the cross. So that we might be able to come and receive him who gave everything. And give to him who stands here waiting to receive our all, our 100%. Here's what I want us to do this morning with this text. Two things. First, I want us to make this simple commitment. Jesus, you got me. Jesus, you got me. For those of you who have, you might be saying, I already, I already gave Jesus my life. Good, great. Praise God. The life of the Jesus follower is not just a one-time commitment. It's not just an initial commitment. It is an initial and continual condition. Commitment, not condition. This is a moment for you. If you've already made that initial commitment to once again just say, Jesus, you got me. If this is for you, I've never made that commitment. May this be your initial commitment. Jesus, you got me. That's the first thing. 
I believe this text invites us to do. The second thing I believe this text invites us to do is to ask Jesus this simple yet dangerous question. What's my 100%? What's my 100%? Is it opening your home? New foster care? Is there a relationship you need to end? Maybe there's a relationship you need to pursue. Is there some habits you need to change with your phone? For me, this is just totally off the script here, but it's just so fitting as I ask that question. I made a switch to a dumb phone that's just talking text, and it gives me directions and all that, but what I found in my own life was that I was just perpetually distracted work, at home, any down moment, it was just reach for the phone, scroll Instagram, scroll Facebook, check up on the Lions, check up on U of M football, and all the while, totally checked out for my wife, totally checked out for my kids. I had to make that decision that it ain't worth it. Maybe for you, giving Jesus your all Giving Jesus your 100% means changing the way I interact with my phone. Do you need to write an apology letter to someone you wronged? Maybe you need to forgive someone who's wronged you and has asked you to forgive them. Maybe there's just a day you need to block off to no longer be fully present to your work, but maybe being fully present to your family. What's your 100% family? As we close, I, 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 just, I just think this is an opportunity for us to put a stake in the ground. As I close, I just want to leave you with these words that I so need for my heart, for my soul, for my mind, and my strength to be given to God supremely, given to others sacrificially. Just as you close your scriptures, Hear these words spoken over to you. Everything she had, all she had to live on. May these be our North Star. We say, Jesus, you got me. May these words be our North Star as we ask Jesus, what's my 100%? Everything she had, all she had to live on. Father in heaven, your word is so clear that you are not interested in us straddling the fence. In your son Jesus, you call us to a decision. Either we will embrace him for who he is and receive from him what he has done, or we don't. Pray that this morning Lights would be, come, would be turned on for those who have been in the darkness and for those of us who have just been seeing the light fade and dim a little bit. Father, may your spirit give fresh illumination. See clearly, once again, the worth of Jesus. Receive everything we have, all we have to live on.
Father, I pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.